it is a joy to be here today. And uh, as Stephen and his dad uh, blessed us in Bible class with sharing. And, uh, uh, of course, we have a college and high school group that's going down to Nicaragua here before too long to work with uh, our brother uh, at the Guadalupe, uh, Guadalupe Church of Christ. And so it's a great group of people. Uh, so we're just we're just glad to partner with such great people. And so I want to ask his Staben and his dad to come up, and any of the elders that are here, uh, come on up in this assembly, and we want to have a prayer over their ministry. Staben's dad did a great job teaching Bible class about the gospel of grace, and for that we're appreciative and. I'm going to ask Robert Abels to say a prayer over our brothers here. Robert, if you lead our prayer, come right up here, guys. Dear Father, I I thank you so much for um, the partnership of these great men of God. Thank you for what they do in Nicaragua and how it... um, goes throughout all of Central America and, and, and the rest of the world, how they've influenced us and how they've helped so much through the years. Father, um, Saban has gone all over Latin America with us, and he's such a great ambassador, such a, a wonderful young man of God, and, and many of us consider him our, our Nicaraguan son. And we praise you for his dad, his uh, wisdom, his great leadership, um, his love for you and for your people. We watched him Friday night as he embraced people uh, that he couldn't even speak to. And he loved on them because of um, the marked time for their recovery, whether it be a year, a month, or whatever. He just continually were hugging people. And, um, Father, thank you for him. Thank you for being a shepherd no matter where he's at. Father, we, um, we love these guys so much, and we pray for good health. Um, Father, we want to pray a special prayer for Saban's wife who was in a car accident a few days ago. I pray for comfort, for any healing that needs to happen. I pray for her um, just all-around well health. I pray, God, that you will bless her. Continue to bless these brothers as they work. Bless our teens and college group as they go down to help serve. Help them to um, uh, be the uh, representation of, of you, of your son. We pray, God, that uh, you'll bless each one. Thank you, Father, for giving us all that you do and for giving us these men and their families. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. You know, that's one of the fun things about uh, working with this church is we get to partner with such great people all over the world. And it is a blessing uh, to work with these guys and uh, just grateful that they came our way today. Um, it's Memorial Day weekend and uh, I never pass this Sunday without 
mentioning the sacrifice by our brother Chad Powell who gave his life for our freedom that we could be in this room and meet today. And Jerry and Brenda, I want you to know that we love you and uh, and we will never forget, brother. We'll never forget. I have a, uh, I'm not going to read it this particular time. I have before, but I have a. love and and uh, uh and prayers and and then he mentions a couple of scriptures uh, proverbs 3 5 and 6 philippians 4 and uh that he says was his tools that he carried with him every day i like that idea uh and uh, but be mindful memorial day we are grateful uh, for those that sacrifice so much uh, for our freedom and our nation needs our prayers, don't they? Uh, many of you know that uh, Tommy grew up in Uvalde, Texas, and I did my first ministry in Uvalde, Texas, where the shootings took place. Uh, if nothing else, it reminds us that there's evil in a broken world. Uh, if you try to solve spiritual problems with worldly wisdom, you won't get very far. And unfortunately, that's kind of where we find ourselves uh, uh, many times, people trying to make change happen uh, without the real change of God consciousness being the, being the problem. But we do want to pray for our nation, and I want to pray for the folks in uh, Uvalde. We have, Tommy and I both have been texting and in contact with people we love there uh, and about how that situation is being ministered to and the, the heartbreak of, of losing so many lives, uh, I, I just don't have the words. I mean, I, I wish I could say something more meaningful. But, you know, uh, in the face of evil, we, have to, we just have to stand faithful to God. We have to trust Him, and we have to love on folks a whole lot. Uh, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. But while we're here, it's some pretty tough times, but we got to keep the end in mind. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you. I do pray for our nation. I'm thankful for our freedom that we have. I'm thankful, Father, that we can stand here in the public arena and we can preach your name. We can shout the name of Jesus. We can call on you for help in desperate times. And we do, as the psalm writer says, out of the depths of our sorrow, we cry to you, Father, for mercy and for help. And we know that you hear us and we wait in hope because we trust in you. I pray for the families of Uvalde who are dealing with this very, very tough situation of loss in their community. I pray, Father, for comfort and for peace. And I pray, Father, that just the sight of evil actions will drive more people to God. May you take a terrible thing, Father, and somehow use it for good, as only you can do. And we need wisdom ourselves, Father, from you and how to help people through trouble. In Jesus' name. We pray, and the church said,
Amen. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, through Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Quite a few verses we're going to deal with today. And uh, the bad news is today, the bad news is that my watch broke. I know several of you just grasp. And, I mean, you just like, oh, no. Uh, Tommy volunteered his, and he's running it forward already. I see him over. He's punching buttons. Uh, but I'm surrounded by clocks, so it's okay. Uh, and uh, I'll do my best to stay within the, the time uh, allotted. I, uh, I used to never wear a watch at all instead of, until I started traveling overseas and going to different time zones. And, and then I kind of gotten used to it. But it's only right six months out of the year because I never change it on the time change. And so, I, you know, because I don't know how to work the, that, I don't know how to work the watch. So I, it's broke now. Maybe I can buy me a simpler watch. That would be a good present for me, for myself, I guess. Okay. I've entitled this Ministry Under Pressure. And if I keep talking, I'm going to keep building pressure up. Uh, ministry Under Pressure. You know, it's a difficult thing sometimes for leaders to do ministry. Uh, and I don't know if you understand, we have people walk in the doors that are brand new Christians uh, who are just, I mean, they're just in love with God and know nothing. They just want to dive in and, and learn. And then we have people who have been Christians for years and years and years, and we put them all in the same room and everything in between and say, okay, there they are, somehow or another, to help teach and serve them, you know. And that becomes quite a challenge at times. Well, Paul writes this whole church who had a lot of problems, problems with unity and morality, and he confronts them and he rebukes them, but he loves them so deeply. And so as he's loving them and wanting to help them, you know, he comes to this Second Corinthians letter, and he's loving people that are being critical of him. So I think from this text we can learn some things about Paul's response uh, of while he's under pressure and under criticism Yet we, uh, uh, yet we, he still did great ministry, and we can too. The first thing, uh, let, let's just read the text. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse twelve. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, uh, conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in relations with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read and understand, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it like or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, uh, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, there are yes, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That is God who makes 
both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over you, uh, uh, your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him, and I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive. I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Thank you for your patience. I know it's a long reading. But basically, he's got the Corinthian church criticizing the very guy that converted them. I, uh, as elders, uh, we understand how that feels. Uh, the very people you pour love and heart into, and some, and 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 the response sometimes because they make a turn toward the world becomes criticism. So here's some encouragement to us. First of all, in verse 12 and 13, take a clean view. Now, what we mean by that is that Paul said his conscience was clear. His conscience was clean, and it was clean and clear by the holiness and the sincerity that he had, enabled or empowered by the grace of God. That the only way he's able to keep a clear conscience in what he did was because of God's grace, but he had done that. So Paul's going to kind of defend himself a little bit, and he's kind of a little off, feels a little awkward doing it. You know how that is, right? Have you ever had to try to defend yourself and you really didn't want to go there? Okay, that's kind of what happened here. But Paul had a clean conscience enabled by God's grace. And he's telling them, look at me. I'm telling you, my motives were good. I've tried, I've tried to do the right thing here. Have you ever tried to convince somebody that your motives were good? I mean, they've said something or believed something wrong about you and you want to correct it so bad. And even though you tell them that, I remember I told one guy, a guy one time, I said, believe me, don't read me. Because there's this idea sometimes uh, uh, people get into this thing of being suspicious about everything. And when they get suspicious about everything, that's usually because somebody has planted a thought in their mind. And when you allow worldly people to plant thoughts in your mind to create suspicion and doubt about those that converted you, more red flags ought to go up everywhere. And Paul's saying, look, don't. Don't judge my motives. My conscience was clear on how I dealt with you. I gave you my heart, and this was out of a pure motive and sincerity because of the grace of God. 
And sometimes you just can't make people believe your heart, can you? You like one too, but sometimes criticism gets in there. And so really one of the things we need to ask ourselves, do you have an eye for godly character? Because Paul's saying, look at my character, it's tied to the gospel. Do you have an eye for godly character? Or do you invite worldly suspicion from the influence of others outside? Just kind of stick that one in your humbox, okay? Kind of think about it. Do you look for godly character? Or are you, from a worldly point of view, suspicious of leaders all the time? I remember a guy come to me one time with a conflict and, and we're visiting and he thought the elders did this or did this because of him and had some kind of personal thing. And I'm like, look, we're not sitting up in a room trying to create ways to make life difficult for people. We rejoice when people are living for the Lord and we just want to walk along with them on the journey. It's pretty well that simple. It's not that complex. There's not a bunch of strategy going on somewhere and some uh, group of men saying, let's make this happen. Behind people's back, let's sneak around and make this happen. That's not, that's not how it works in church leadership. That's not how it works in this church leadership. I'll say that. Take a clean view. Do you have an eye for godly character? Or do you give in to people planting suspicious things in your mind? Choose godliness over giftedness. That might sound strange. But it's amazing because Paul ran into this. He had these false teachers that came into Corinth and they were gifted and they were super apostles. They were all this stuff and all this talent. But you got to choose godliness over giftedness. Yeah, I, I promise you, uh, there's a way lot more people more gifted than what's standing right up here behind this deal. And there's a lot. Uh, I mean, our, I feel like our elders have some giftedness, but you can find a whole group of guys that have a whole lot more gifts than we do. Okay. But in your, in your family, in your relationships, in the people you partner with in ministry, choose godliness over giftedness. Okay, so first take a clean view, verses 12 and 13. Then in 13 and 14, I, I just mentioned this one, take a long view. Let me remind you what he says in this verse. He says, uh, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, you'll come to understand fully that you can boast in us as we boast in you. Here's the key, look here. In the day of the Lord Jesus. Take a long view in short-term drama. In short-term conflict, take a long view. Luther said he had two dates on his calendar. This day and that day. The day Jesus comes again. Two days. That's all you need, right? Two days on your calendar. Just wipe all the rest of them. Two days. This day and that day. And this day I live in view of that day that's coming. That's what Paul said. Look, you got to live today like he may come today or tomorrow. Instantly in the twinkling of an eye. Take the long view when you're in the short-term crisis and dealing with a problem. you got to be sure you understand and remember...
that you're taking this day in view of that day. So you make decisions now that makes welcoming Jesus then an easy thing. Take the long view. Take the yes view. Look what he says in verse 15. But as surely as God's faithful, our message to you is, is not yes and no. Look, of all people this last couple of years, if we hadn't learned anything, we, we've learned something that plans change, don't they? I mean, instantly, one day I was in New Orleans. Uh, at, uh, I was in Baton Rouge, actually, at the governor's prayer breakfast. And they announced the first two cases of covid I went down to New Orleans and spoke at a church the next uh, uh, the next day, and by that night there were 13 cases. And then by Thursday, driving home, Alan and I are talking about you know what do we need to do. And before I could get off the phone with him, the message came down that everything was shut down, and we went to a room and recorded that Sunday, and we didn't meet for a good long while. Plans change. But because plans change does not mean my word wasn't good. Hey, did I plan on being here that Sunday and with all of you? Sure. So what Paul is saying, matter of fact, he wrote in 1 Corinthians, he wrote, here's my plans to come and visit you. But now, uh, he said, if it's the Lord's will, if the Lord permits, I think exactly how he says the phrase. So then later on when that plan didn't work out and Paul had to change his plans and come a different time, then he was accused by his critics saying, well, see, you can't even be trusted. You said you were going to come here this day and you didn't show up and now you've changed your plan. He says, no, no, no. He says, I attach my integrity to the integrity of God. He said, I'm not yes and, yes and no all in the same breath. That's what he said. That's not how we do business. But look what he says. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy. He said, remember us? We converted you. We gave the gospel to you. It was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Yes in Christ. Christ. Paul's change of plan did not mean he was fickle or undecided. He was still faithful to these brothers. He still loved them. And he still came there to minister to them. You know, sometimes it's hard to convince people of the true motive of what you've got planned. But Paul ties his integrity to the gospel. He says, just like God's been faithful. Now look at that. He said, because in Christ, every promise is found. Every promise of God in Christ. It starts back in Genesis, right? It was yes in Christ when the verse was written that he would smash the head of Satan by his heel. What promise? That promise is yes in Christ. The promise in Exodus of deliverance of God's people was yes 
in Christ. The promise in Leviticus of the law would be fulfilled. And Jesus fulfilled that law. It was yes in Christ. Then the prophets, the, the Lamb of God is spoken about. The Lion of Judah. The redemption that will be found. Yes in Christ. The promise of a virgin birth. God becoming flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. It's found yes in Christ. The, uh, the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus that brought redemption and salvation and grace and mercy to us. That was a yes in Christ. And the resurrection, His body came out of the ground. That was a yes in Christ Jesus. And one day your body's going to come out of the ground. And that's a yes in Christ. It's a yes to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's yes in Jesus Christ. Every promise God's given. Yes. Take the view of yes. Then he says in verse 23 through 24, take the view of love. I'll just read this last little verse of this section. Uh, and through, I, I'm sorry, through, um, through verse 4 of chapter 2. Verse 4, he says, For I wrote you, I wrote you ought, I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. You see, one of the things about church leadership that happens. Sometimes you love the church more than the church loves you. Now, I'm not saying telling you nothing you don't understand. Look, you parents understand this. There's times of rebellion in your kid's life and you, you love your kids more than they love you. Maybe you do anything. You'd sacrifice for them. You, whatever it would take. Matter of fact, this is why parents get pulled into enabling people in their lives because of that. Remember the verse? Love covers a multitude of sins. Well, with parents, love covers a multitude of sins. It's hard for them to really see and make good decisions sometimes, even about what's best. But they, they love their kids. And Paul's saying, I have this depth of love for you. You've been critical and you've been off target and yet, yeah, I just still, I, I'm not grieved because of that. I mean, I'm grieved and I'm distressed and I'm shedding tears, but it's not because I'm mad at you and it's not because uh, I'm hurt. It's because I have such deep love for you. Sometimes it's hard to convince someone of your love for them. Especially when you love them more than they love you. Paul had that problem with the Corinthian church. I've known preachers who love their church dearly and do everything they can for their church. And their church sends them packing down the road. You know? They love them more than they were loved. Sometimes that happens with us when we really dive into people's hearts and lives. But I, you know what? It's all right. Dive in anyway. Keep loving people. We say it around here a lot. We love everybody. Why? Because God first loved me. And all my mess and all my brokenness and all my mistakes, 
Not only that I made, that I still make. And yet God loves me. So I need to learn to love that way. Not only take the love view. This last little section, verse 5 through 11, take the forgiveness view. It says, if anyone's caused grief, he's not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment you inflicted on him, there was, a, there was a guy in the church that caused all kinds of problems. The church had to discipline him, and they did so. He said, the punishment you inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excess sorrow. Do you get that? When you discipline your kids or elders discipline a church or discipline takes place, you do the appropriate thing and then you got to come back under there and love and forgive and help and, and hug, and right? you got to do that. Because if you just discipline and you create bitterness and you create division, then here's what happens. People all of a sudden, they, they grow in that. And, or they're good-hearted people and they're overwhelmed with the excess sorrow. That's what he says here, that phrase. You ever notice that phrase? Excess sorrow. By the way, let, let me say this right here. Some of you, you're... Listening? Some of you have put excess sorrow on yourself. And because you don't feel forgiven or haven't forgiven, Satan takes advantage of unforgiveness. Or you can't really believe you're forgiven and you're stuck in your excess sorrow. You ever been stuck in excess sorrow? To where you look at your own life... And you're just like, oh, it's, it's either poor me. Here's the problem with pity parties. Uh, 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 nobody comes and those that do don't bring gifts. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just no good. But he says, here's a brother you've disciplined, and you don't want to leave him there in excess sorrow. You want to forgive him and bring him back in. Because God forgave us. Look, I'm telling you right now, there is nobody in this room better than anybody else. We all need grace and forgiveness of God. So Paul's telling the church here, look, forgive that brother. He says, I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And if I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I forgive in the sight of Christ for your sake. And here's why. Look here what he says. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. A lack of forgiveness is when Satan outsmarts us. He is scheming and planning on how to attack us. And an unwillingness to forgive opens the door to the evil one. So you see, when I have those relationships that I can't forgive, I just keep a door kicked open for Satan. He loves to take 
relationships that you say, well, I was treated wrong. I ain't gonna, he don't deserve forgiveness. He loves to take those kind of attitudes. It's just, whenever you hear those words, you just imagine they just kicked the door open and Satan is ready to walk right through. He's got a plan for you, my friend. And you that have not, you like me at times that have not forgiven the way you should, when I've not forgiven the way I should, Satan plants bitterness, hate, suspicion, doubt. You call into people's, you call uh, people's character into question. This is what was happening with Paul. This is the same thing that happens with us. Don't let Satan have an open door through your lack of forgiveness. If there's a relationship in here in this room that is not right with God, I pray you don't sleep a wink until it gets right with God. Well, I know one you can make right right now. You can make right your relationship with God. By asking him to forgive you. If you've never been in Christ, you can make a make you can make a response right now today to be baptized into Christ, reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and start brand new, brand new. Forgiven. What a great word. God says, forgiven over you. Believe it. And when brothers forgive you, Accept it. And where you're challenged to forgive others, step up and forgive because God forgave you. And you'll, you'll pave a road of, that's paved with love and mercy and grace. And that's a whole lot smoother road to travel down than the road Full of the bumps of bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred and suspicion. What road do you want to walk down today? Walk down the one that has a view of forgiveness. So let me say I love you. I love this church. You have been, you are a, such a blessing to my life. I, I learned from all of you. I learned from Brother Linnell's, uh Lionel's lesson in Bible class today about the gospel of integrity. Thank you, brother, for that. So many of you have taught me so many things. I'm grateful to God to be here. But there's nothing as great as watching somebody's life change because of the good news of Jesus. If you want to make that happen today by responding to God, do so while we stand and while we sing. Amen.